Welcome to Healing Your Family Legacy here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. Innovative, evidence-based recovery that helps to identify intergenerational trauma, allowing for freedom and embracement of the healing process. Today, episode 155, The 90-Day Rule for Dating, Part 1. And now your host, Dr. Donna Bevanley. And this is Dr. Donna Bevanley, Healing Your Family Legacy. Well, I, you know, last week I talked about child abuse, and now I'm going to talk about something that all adults are actively involved with pretty much on a regular basis, and that is relationships. Um, There is a segue, okay? When children are abused, abandoned, neglected in every way they don't you know they don't grow up to make very good choices in choosing relationships they also have a tendency to grow up and not know how to be in relationship very well I mean I I have yet to work with somebody who had a nurturing childhood who, you know, got the information they needed, learned how uh, how to, what to do and how to do it. It's like they never show up in my office, okay? The ones that show up in my office, even when they start out by saying, oh, well, I had a really happy childhood, that by the end of the first session I know this was a problem because they're telling me about what's happening in their current relationship and sometimes they're you know talking about a friend so when I talk about dating the 90-day rule for dating I also you know encourage people to think about this when they are choosing friendships because when you are an adult you arrive in any friendship or, or love relationship with baggage. It happens. because Unless you've been dropped on the planet, you know, when you're 25 years old from outer space someplace where, you know, you got all the rules, maybe AI or something, um, you, you arrive with baggage. Childhood is hard. <laughs> Childhood can be a nightmare. Childhood is really hard. And if you remember back to being a child, or an adolescent, you know, you might, you know, people have a tendency to remember the, the fun things, the good things, but they also, if they allow themselves, they can remember the time that they were, you know, humiliated or, you know, because it's just like that. Growth is messy. It's always messy. You know? So by the time you become an adult, you're still growing, I hope, that you have the capacity to do that, but it's more of a conscious thing. You consciously have to decide that and to do it. It's more of a conscious thing than it is a natural, you know, like progression thing that you're, you are uh, programmed to do. And so I want to talk about this dating thing. I had a request from somebody uh, on email 
who wanted me to talk about what is the 90-day rule and why the 90-day rule, and please explain the 90-day rule. And so I'm going to do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm also going to tell her uh, which when she can listen to it, because this was really, I mean, she took the time to sit down and ask. So I would like to respect that and honor that by giving her that information. So anyway, the 90-day rule goes like this. Once you are dating, okay, I'm going to talk about friendship later, but once you are dating and you're out there in the world, you know, whether you're online, uh, whether you're, uh, you know, just going places and doing things, you know, I, I hear people say, oh, well, I don't really want to meet anyone online. I just want to do it organically. And that what they mean by that is that I want to go to an event or I want to go to, you know, do stuff with people or whatever and meet them that way. Whatever way you want, most people are doing online dating, at least at some point, if they are not already. Hopefully, they're not doing this while they're already in a relationship, married or otherwise. But the thing about doing it organically as an adult, and especially as we age, and I'm not talking about just be an old person. I mean, I'm talking about once you reach, you know, you're in your 30s, even 40s, even. And that is that there are fewer and fewer organic, in parentheses, events where you're going to meet like-minded people. So like when you're in high school, when the, when you're in uh, even junior high or middle school or, you know, college, there are events that are created so that you can mix it up with each other, you know? So the boys and girls can mix it up. So the girls and girls can mix it up. So the boys and boys can mix it up. I don't want to have to say that every single time. So can I just say when mixing it up means that people are getting together and part of it is looking for a, you know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. All right. So this is something that just goes along with being in high school. It goes along with being in middle school. It goes a lot, certainly goes along with being in college where there are parties and, you know, all kinds of things that go on. And as you age and more and more people are working and raising families and doing all the things that requires a lot of time, attention, and energy, you might have friends that you've had for a long time. And, you know, so organically you can meet people, but it's harder and harder the older you get. I don't think it was as hard for like my parents' generation organically to meet people because they did have, I mean, their social structure was completely different than ours. You know, they didn't have internet. You know, I didn't see a phone till I was about 10 years old. Didn't see a TV till I was 12. So I know my parents didn't have that. And they, they had churches. They had community centers. They would you know, get together and raise a barn or, you know, they, they, they learn, they, they interact with each other face to face on a fairly regular basis. <clears throat> now people don't do that as much. They do it, but they, I watch them, you know, I'm a watcher. <laughs> um, I did it for 
in my therapy practice for a thousand years and I'm still doing it. I watch them. And even when they could be in a grocery store and be in line with somebody that was single that might be interesting, but they're both on their phone. Okay. They're both, you know, texting or scrolling or doing whatever it is they're doing. They are not interacting with people. They're not saying, hey, you know, I like those kind of pineapples too. People have this idea that organically they're going to meet somebody. Well, sometimes you do. And, but, but a lot of times people are online. And either way, kind of got off target there, but either way, if you're an adult and you're in the dating scene right now, or you think you're going to be in the dating scene right now or in the future, think about this. You are arriving with baggage, and whoever you're going to be interested in will be arriving with baggage. And so the 90-day rule, I say, is to find out what that baggage is and how it impacts them and how it impacts you. Like you've got to really feel, how does this feel to me? And does this make sense to me what this person's saying? Because, you know, gaslighting is a thing. And the best way to determine whether you're being gaslighted or not is that does it make sense? Does it fit what I'm seeing? What they're saying and doing? Does that is that the same? You know, if they say they say like, no, I, I don't drink. And they and then you find out that while you're at dinner, they have a glass of wine. And you go, wait a minute. You said you didn't drink. Well, I only drink when I go out. Well, I think it would have been important for you to tell me that. Okay. So now you're thinking, okay. This is something I need to pay attention to. Now, So what's the 90-day rule? The 90-day rule is that you're doing things like that, listening to what they say and watching what they do for 90 days before you even consider, before you even consider any kind of sexual intimacy. Okay? Once sexual intimacy happens... And I don't, I'm not talking about intercourse here. I'm talking about any kind of sexual intimacy where you feel that arousal and they feel aroused and you do stuff. And, you know, it's like, don't do that. Don't do that because that takes a relationship to a deeper level. That's why they call it intimacy. If I'm just sitting and having lunch with you, that's a level of intimacy too. But it certainly is not the same as, say, making out on the couch while we're walking, watching a movie. Okay, it's not the same level of intimacy. So you want to think about, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to keep my level of intimacy with this person that I'm interested in. Okay, and and you know, I've had people say, well, what about chemistry? How can you find out about chemistry if you are sitting there with them? There is already some kind of chemistry. Are you just going to go out with somebody you're not attracted to? Are you going to go out with somebody that doesn't interest you at all? 
All right. So, you know, it's like people tend to think and, you know, media reinforces it that, you know, it's intimacy or chemistry has to do with sexual interaction. That is not true. You know, you ask people who've been married a long time, who seem to have a positive relationship, who, you know, are who seem to have a good life together and ask them about, you know, their chemistry. Do you guys click? They're not going to start talking about their sex life, believe me. Unless they're sex addicts. One is a sex addict and that's the one you're talking to. But I'm talking about, you know, regular people. You say, how do you click? How's that going? How does that work? It's like, well, you know, I really... You know, it's like we have a good time together. We, you know, it's like we share the same value system. We, you know, ha- and in that value system, we have the same beliefs about money. We have the same ideas about whether or not to have kids. We have the same beliefs about how or if we want to, you know, include our parents or t- take care of them if they get old or, you know, we you know, we have the same religious beliefs. We have the same uh, political beliefs. And and some of those things don't need to be uh, the same. You know, like I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about they were asking me, do you think that two people who are deeply religious but have different religious beliefs can ever be in a relationship? And I said, well, of course they can. They have to be complete and totally honest about how they feel about the other person's religion and beliefs and how it would affect them in many ways. Like, if they want to have kids, what would they do? Okay, Are they going to raise that kid this religion or that religion? If they are deeply religious people, they're going to have to have open communication for their whole lives if they want to have a meaningful relationship. Now, in some situations, that would be very an interesting life because then you have two people who do not think alike in the area of spiritual and religious beliefs having conversations openly, honestly, and with respect. What a concept! Huh? <laughs> Just think about if everyone at their age, they could actually do that. Because most of us would think, oh yeah, I could do, I could have a relig- I could have a spiritual or religious conversation with somebody and not get wrapped around the axle if they don't believe the same way I do. Most of us can't do that. Most of us will get wrapped around the axle, okay, and then, and then all hell breaks loose, so to speak. And so, yes, I think a difference is important. Um, for, uh, gay people, it's a little harder to come by differences than heterosexual people because at newsflash, heterosexual relationships have people who are different genders. And I know because I have been trained (laughs) and I've watched from a professional 
perspective about differences in gender. And I am here to tell you that there are huge differences between men and women. You know, it's not just the, you know, the genitalia that you're born with. It goes way deeper than that. And so when a heterosexual couple gets together, there are automatic differences. And those automatic differences keep the relationship sparked and interesting and difficult sometimes. But you know what? When you have a commitment to somebody or to your relationship, you look at those, you listen to those, and you say, you know what? This is my commitment. I made this decision, and just because I don't agree or just because I'm angry about something that you did, uh, I'm not going to walk out here. I'm going to have a conversation with you about it. That happens. You know, there's a lot more of that that happens with heterosexual couples because there are automatic differences in gender. With gay people, that difference isn't there. And, you know, and so it's easier for gay people to feel connected faster. <laughs> you know, they don't have to go over gender lines to try and find out how I'm going to connect here with you. Even, you know, we have a, a connection to begin with or we wouldn't be having the conversation. But, you know, if I'm of the same gender, we don't have those we just don't have those kinds of uh, boundaries or limits or, you know, differences to try and figure it out. And so when, you know, so when people who are the same gender are attracted to each other, they have to really check in with, oh, Am I like interested in this person because they're just like me? Or am I interested in them because they're different than me? Or, you know, but guess what? If you're doing the 90 day rule, everything is public. You don't invite them to your house for dinner or to watch a movie or to do anything else because once you're in the house and you're alone and there's, you know, that quote-unquote chemistry that people talk about, and there's sexual energy in the air, it's very hard to say, well, you know, I'm doing the 90-day rule now, <laughs> so we're not even going to be doing that. We we can watch a movie, but we're not going to hold hands, and we're not going to, you know, scooch together and all that. It's kind of, it's nearly impossible to do that. All right, there are some people who do, and, and that's fine, and you know, there's, of course, I, I'm in the profession where there is a word for that. Um, but most people cannot do that. So if you keep it public, say for 90 days, the only time you see each other is in public, or you can text or you can phone, but you don't, you know, sex. You don't send pictures of yourself naked or in, you know, in lingerie or whatever. It's like, I've had that happen to me before. It's very unnerving. Okay. It's like, oh, wait, I don't want to know about that. And in fact, I know you have a problem. <laughs> so bye-bye. <laughs> this isn't happening. Um, 
But I can tell you that if you have the 90 day rule, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm going to give you a couple of, uh, anecdotes, little stories about the 90 day rule. Most of the time when I was in therapy full time, when I was doing therapy full time, instead of just one way, one day a week, maybe a little more. Anyway, I would talk about this 90 day rule and people would, first of all, most of the time, I'd say 95% of the time, they'd look at me like horrified. What are you talking about? 90 days? What if I really like them? What if we're really clicking 90 days? Well, some people wait until they're married because that's their religious belief, or maybe that's just their moral belief, and that's fine. And they don't get alarmed by the 90-day rule. In fact, they go, oh, thank God. <laughs> you know, at least if you're telling everyone else to do the 90-day rule, at least I don't have to worry about that. At least for 90 days, and then we can talk about it. But most of the time, women have a harder time with the 90-day rule and more arguments with me about the 90-day rule than men. And what men have told me over the years is that that's kind of a relief because, you know, people always expect us, men, I'm not one, okay, telling you what they tell me, that they should automatically be able to be sexual you know, immediately. And, you know, they tell me, and I believe them, that I'm not a robot. I can't just, you know, get hot and bothered and get an erection and all that and be ready to have, you know, sex Yeah, at the drop of a hat. I need, I need some emotional intimacy too. I want to, you know, I want to be able to, you know, learn about them. And so they're actually more relieved than women because when women are dating, they're, you know, it's like their whole reality is different. Their thing is that if I can be sexual with this person, then it's kind of like, I kind of have them hooked. I'm sorry if I've offended anyone you know, and I know about, oh, God, I could offend people and not even know it. But I'm telling you right now, as a professional person who has spent 50 years doing this, that is true. Okay? You might not want to believe it, but, you know, it's true. And, and in fact, I had a conversation recently with somebody who said, why is that true? She was actually agreeing with me, and she's younger than me, so I know I'm not, it's not just my generation. She said, I know that's true, because if I have, if I'm being sexual with somebody, I feel like that, you know, unless I'm a sex addict, then that's a different story, but, you know, it's like if I am being sexual with somebody, I'm already thinking, oh, I wonder where we're going to have our wedding. I wonder where, you know, it's like, now he's mine, and now what's our life going to be like? And guys can think that too, and, and they do, but, you know, it's different for them. So for, you know, women, it's like, okay, where's the marriage? And for the guys thinking, oh, you know, now I have some responsibility. Unless they're a sex addict. <laughs> and that's a different conversation but 
for most people, once there's sexual interaction, their expectations that they're not talking about. So anyway, this woman asked me, why is that true for women? I said, well, I know that for as long, you know, if you look at even uh, period movies where it's a, you know, like, uh, it's like back in the English days or something like that. <clears throat> but most movies and most of our training and our socialization has been we need to get married, have children, and, you know, this is going to be the, the crowning glory of our lives. Now, even people who, women who are, you know, more educated are now, you know, going into the workforce and, you know, they're doctors and lawyers and, and, you know, it's like, so they have, we have other uh, drives besides getting married and having this crowning achievement, but it's still a top number for us. You know, it's like relationship is still a top number for us. No, no, most people do not want to be alone. Most people do not want to live their lives alone. Okay? And we are naturally drawn to couple up. And so I'm going to continue this conversation because it's a bigger one than just 30 minutes, so... I hope you'll join me for our next one. Thank you for listening to Healing Your Family Legacy here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. This channel is made possible because of listeners just like you. If you would like to support the channel with your tax-deductible contribution on an ongoing basis or through a one-time gift, head over to experienceofthesoul.com slash support. Healing Your Family Legacy is copyright 2024, Dr. Donna Bevanly, all rights reserved. Our theme music is composed by Dave Croft and used with permission. The Experience of the Soul podcast channel is a production of 818 Studios.